Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, Liberty Lovers, and welcome to We Are Not Cattle Radio. I'm your host, Jake Counts, coming to you live from Atlanta, Georgia. It is the 27th day of February, 2013, and with us tonight is a special guest, um, presidential candidate in 2016, Robbie Carwells. Thanks for coming on board, Robbie. Do we have you? Let's see if I have him pulled up. Oh. Call failed. Hold on, everybody. I'm trying to pull him up. Forgive me for a second. Robbie, we got you. Hey, Robbie, you there? Sorry, everybody. Technical difficulties. Welcome to live radio. As I'm trying to pull up Robbie Wells here, he is, like I said, a presidential candidate in 2016 as an independent. So we're going to try to get him on the line. Let's see if we can grab him now. Hey, Robbie, do we have you? Hey, Jake. Yeah, I'm here. Oh, fantastic. Sorry. Nothing like live radio, right? <laughs> I'm telling you. Well, once again, thanks for coming on board. And um, once again, everyone, sorry for the reset, but um, presidential candidate in 2016, Robbie Carwells, is on the line with us. So... Robbie, why don't you uh, give our listeners a little bit about who you are as far as you personally, where you came from, and your background, and then we'll just kind of go from there. Sure, Jake. Well, first of all, let me just say thank you for having me on the call tonight, and for all the listeners out there, thank you for taking a few minutes to listen in on this call so you can find out a little bit more about my candidacy uh, my name is Robbie Wells. I am running for President of the United States in 2016 as an independent candidate. Um, I am not a career politician, but I have proven leadership ability. That leadership ability has been proven as an NCAA Division I head football coach. Uh, I was actually the CEO of, of the football program at Savannah State University, which is a historically black college in Savannah, Georgia. And I was the very first white guy to ever do that. It, I went down and inherited a program that was in shambles, and we quickly turned that thing around. And in the first year, we won as many games in that first year as they did in the previous five years combined before we got there. So uh, we've, we've definitely got a plan with this campaign we announced back in November in fact, just three days before the general election, we announced that we were running for president, and this campaign is starting to blow up. We have been all over the country, the campaign team. Uh, we've been in St. Louis, Missouri. We've been in New York City. We've been in Buffalo, Rochester, Greece, New York. We've been in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania. And all over Pennsylvania, we've been in Richmond, Virginia, Charlotte, North Carolina. We've got some trips coming up uh, in the Georgia area here in March and April. Uh, also in April, we will be in Baltimore, Maryland. So we are getting around, and one thing that I will tell you, Jake, is that as we go around the country and I am able to introduce myself with people, 
they'll ask the question, are you a Democrat or are you a Republican? And I'll say, I'm neither. I'm an independent. And it's like a sigh of relief with everybody. They're like, oh, thank the good Lord. That's exactly what we need. We need an independent. And then I'm just going to say this. I'm not left-wing and I'm not right-wing. I'm the bird that sits right there in the middle, and I base everything on the Constitution of the United States of America, and that's what I will base my decisions on in Washington so that we can return the liberties and freedom back to the people of the United States. Well, that is uh, – I wish you could see my face right now. If we had video Skype, you would see how big my grin is right now just to hear you say that you're a constitutionalist, going to go back and restore order to this system that we've um, fallen to over the last couple of years. But jumping right into some of the questions that I think that people would have out there, what drove you to decide to run for president of the United States? Well, Jake, when I was a young child, and, and first of all, I was adopted when I was six weeks old by a bad his minister and his wife, and uh, it's a pretty neat story how I got here. I'm, I'm a miracle child within itself. You see, uh, there was a young girl that went away to college, a beautiful young girl, talented in music, and uh, people quickly realized that she was going to go a long way in music, but just like a lot of girls, uh, she ended up falling in love with a fella her sophomore year in college. It was an older gentleman. In fact, he was married. Well, uh, all of a sudden, an unwanted pregnancy was on the way. And a lot of her friends were telling her, hey, you've got your whole career ahead of you. You can't have this child. He was telling her the same thing because, mm -hmm. you know, he had a family to the point where they set up a, an appointment to, to uh, take her so she could have the pregnancy terminated. And at the last moment, she decided to have that child. That's my birth mom. Uh, so I am 100% pro-life, and I'm happy to be here. My parents, uh, when they adopted me, my father actually worked for Jimmy Carter back when he was the governor of Georgia. My father sat on a committee that oversaw the special needs children in the state of Georgia because my sister uh, was special needs. Hmm. So I saw Jimmy Carter go from being a peanut farmer to being the uh, governor of Georgia and then I saw him going to become the president of the United States when I was a very young child. And it just stuck with me that, hey, if he can do it, why can't I do it one day? So I went on with my career uh, just like the founding father set the thing up way back anyway mm. to, to go ahead with my career and, and prepare myself for one day. And now here I am a proven leader with more more proven leadership ability than Barack Obama had when he became president of the United States in 2008. Well, I, I don't think anybody can dispute that. But one of the things that you actually covered a couple of my questions, but here's, here's I guess, the big question. Who or what influenced you to become politically active? Well, it was a lot of, a lot of people that, that influenced me. Of course, Jimmy Carter... Uh, seeing him become the president when I was a young child, uh, I believe that my father had a lot of influence on me as well, being a minister. Mm -hmm. And I, I saw him speaking every every uh, week, of course, and I saw him dealing with with hundreds of people. Uh, those had two; those those were two that had a lot of influence on me as I was growing up as a child. And of course, more, more recently, uh, Dr. Ron Paul. Uh, has inspired me uh, to take a step uh, out here and not be afraid to stand on what we've got to stand on in order to get this country back in the right direction. You see, I'll go ahead and tell you this right now, Jake. Mm -hmm. There is no fear in my heart. The only fear that I have in me is the fear of being out of relationship with my God. Mm -hmm. But as far as uh, fear from, from another man or, or from the establishment or whatever, right. I have no fear. And that's probably why they're scared of me. I think that you and I and a lot of other patriots are aligned right in that line that we don't really fear the establishment. We fear what can happen if we don't stand up for what we believe in and what we know to be right. So piggybacking on top of that, why do you think that Americans have allowed such a deviation from the Constitution? Well, we've elected a bunch of officials that have gone to Washington, and just over the course of, of many years, they've chipped away and chipped away at, at our Constitution and, and at the Bill of Rights. 
And just over a, a, a period of years, uh, the, the general population here in the United States has been desensitized mm-hmm. to what has been going on. I mean, uh, the Constitution used to be taught in public schools. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to find a class like that now. Uh, so so things have, have changed, and they have not changed for the better. And here, here's what I venture to say that, that we all should look at. We should look at, at, at the at the world that we live in right now, and has it really gotten any better over the past 20 years when uh, we, took, we took God out of schools and, and we started uh, going away from the Constitution? Uh, we started funding all these unconstitutional programs that are making us go broke anyway, mm-hmm. uh, the whole nine yards. In fact, in the past 100 years, if you think about the Federal Reserve and the Internal Revenue Service, they've done more damage to the economy of the United States of America than any other two entities that are that have uh, that are in our land today. I, I think that makes a really good point, and we'll get into the Fed a little bit later on because I think you and I line up in uh, in perfect tandem with that. Because you know most libertarians know that that the Fed has diminished our purchasing power of our dollar by ninety eight percent since its exception in nineteen thirteen. So. Back to back to I wanted to kind of cover the the constitutionality first and, and find out you know give people a feel of of um, of how how we're going to go about changing this and how we're going to about turning this in the right direction. So, why do you think there's been such a push for federalization of laws as opposed to states' rights and then letting the federal government play referee in interstate commerce and such like they were supposed to do? Why do you think that people are allowing the federal government to make overwhelming laws and not let the states regulate themselves. Well, a lot of it has to do with the simple fact that that, that America has been dumbed down by the establishment on the left and the right side. In fact, if you really want to get right down to it, the establishment mm-hmm. controls both the Democrats and the Republicans. And if you think that that uh, that's a crazy statement, then I, I challenge each and every one of you to go and look at the FEC reports mm-hmm. for Barack Obama and for Mitt Romney in this past election. Mm-hmm. And what you will see, the super PACs that gave uh, that gave to or these these corporations that gave to these super PACs that supported Mitt Romney and Barack Obama. Uh, if if a corporation gave a million dollars to Barack Obama, they gave a million dollars to Mitt Romney, too, because they wanted to support a winner. Mm-hmm. Therefore, whoever won, they could control them. Right. So that has a lot to do with, with it. You know, the way the laws are set up right now, that the corporations and only those with the money can really control things. And, and you know, you, you, you mentioned the Federal Reserve uh, as well. You know, the Federal Reserve, which was started in 1913, 100 years ago, mm-hmm. the Federal Reserve is not part of the federal government. It's a central bank. It's a cartel, per se, mm-hmm. that has devalued the face of the dollar by 95% in the past 100 years. Now, if you owned a business and you devalued your, your the products that you were putting out by over 95%, you'd go bankrupt pretty quick. But yet we keep the same plan year after year after year. I'm telling you this right now. When I was coaching football for those years, all those years, mm-hmm. If we lost a couple games in a row, I'm going to tell you this right now. We're not going to keep losing because we're doing the same thing. Oh, yeah. We're going to change it up, and we're going to do something completely different, like getting back to the Constitution, because in Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution, it, it says that you know our Congress is supposed to be in charge of our money system, not any central bank. Yeah, and it also says that gold and silver can be used as um, as a payment in debts, and now we've gotten away from that also. So that's just another you know little another little feather in the cap of the Federal Reserve. But we'll get into them much more in detail later because, like I said, I think you and I are two peas in a pod on this one. Sure. But here, here's one thing that I, I that, that my wife and I were talking about, and she helped me write all these questions. So I got to give a shout out to my wife. She's a, she's a journalism major, so we came up with some some good questions for you. We believe. Um, what should the public be made aware of in terms of how our big government has gotten out of control? And what I mean by that is most people know that there's a problem, but they can't really pinpoint it on what it is. Do you think it's just them? taking over the reins of everything, what would you say, if you could wrap it up in a couple of sentences, what would you say is the is the larger problem here with the federal government being as large as it is and as unconstitutional as it is? 
Well, the major problem is we keep electing these officials that go to Washington that are more concerned about getting reelected and playing politics than actually doing their job. I can promise you this. When I'm elected president of the United States in 2016, and I fully intend on being elected in 2016, when I go to Washington, I'm not going to be concerned about keeping my job and playing politics. I'm going to be concerned about doing my job and making sure Americans have jobs. A lot of the problems that you see right now with these elected officials, there's no term limits on, on Congress. And because of that, they just go there and they just try to keep getting reelected uh, so that they can they can reap the benefits of being in Washington. Doing nothing, nothing to help uh, the people uh, that are actually their constituents. Uh, they'll tell their constituents one thing, and then they turn right around and do something completely different. And then when they get in Washington, the reason they're not balancing the budget and they're fighting over that so much is because they're scared they'll lose votes mm-hmm. if they cut the things that are unconstitutional. That's why I'm saying when I go to Washington, I'm not going to be concerned about keeping my job and playing politics. You know, there's a lot of departments that are unconstitutional that need to be cut because we're paying for these things that are making us go broke anyway. If these departments are so good that are unconstitutional, let's give them back to the states and follow the Tenth Amendment anyway and just let the states have them. I agree 100%. So here's um, here's one for you. Hot topic, hot button issue as of late. Um, how important is it to you that we preserve the Second Amendment in its full here in the United States? Well, it is a hot hot topic right now, and and it's funny that you say that because I've actually got a plan that's going to take care of three problems mm-hmm. that we are facing here in this country right now. The Second Amendment is being attacked. Uh, I am pro-Second Amendment, of course. Uh, everyone has the right to bear arms, and it shall not be infringed upon. Um, but in 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 lieu of the recent tragedies that you have seen in Aurora, Colorado, uh, the mall shooting in Oregon, the church in Wisconsin, mm-hmm. and most recently Newtown, Connecticut, at Sandy Hook Elementary School, uh, the liberals have taken the opportunity to jump on their soapbox to push for more gun legislation and more gun control, which is going to do absolutely nothing. Because here's the thing. If you if you ban assault rifles or if you ban these, these magazines that have more than seven in the clip, like uh, the state of New York has just, just done with uh, Governor mm-hmm. Cuomo, who signed that legislation uh, just a month ago, that's going to be great and good for the law-abiding citizens. They're going to they're going to abide by that. They don't want any felonies on their record, so they'll abide by it. Mm-hmm. But what about the 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 psychopathic killers that are out there? Because we've got to be real now. We've got to be realist. They're out there. Uh, we know they're out there because we've seen the tragedies that have occurred. You see, all these no weapon zones like Sandy Hook Elementary School, mm-hmm. the mall in or, or excuse me, the uh, movie theater in Aurora, Colorado. Those were no weapon zones. And that's an open killing field for these psychopaths that are out there. My plan that I have come up with is called Vets for Kids, and it takes care of three problems. It it will preserve everybody's right to bear arms and make sure it's not infringed upon. At the same time, it will protect every child in in a school setting. How will we do that? We will do that by employing all these unemployed veterans across the country to protect our children. They're in every small town USA anyway. I would like to see this done on a state and local level, mm-hmm. not on the federal level because they're just going to mess it up anyway. But I'd like to see this done on a state and local level. This is not positicomatatis. I've had somebody come at me with that, and it's not mm-hmm. because veterans are, are uh, civilians anyway that just happened to serve in the past. But who better to protect our children already built in place. They took an oath to protect the people of the United States. This plan that I've got, if we could get it to go nationwide, would employ close to half a million veterans. I'm going ahead with that program now, coming up with solutions that would put over half a million people back to work in a crazy economy. Now, if we can get that done, uh, not only are we going to protect the children? Not only are we going to put people back to work, all these veterans, 
not only are we going to uh, uh, make sure that the Second Amendment stays in place, but now I believe that mainstream voters, not just people in the liberty movement, but mainstream voters are going to have to look at me very, very strong as being uh, the next president of the United States. Now, um, one of the things that I wanted to touch on briefly, and I don't know um, how you feel about this, and I think that that would that would actually kind of lead right into helping solve some of these challenges. But why do you think the mainstream media will will not cover the fact that our veterans are coming back and committing suicide at record numbers? Why do you think that that has a media blackout? It's something like twenty plus per day are committing suicide. Do you think it's lack of employment or lack of opportunities because when you go to and I'm sure you know this cuz you've you've been deployed before when you when you go and serve when you come back there's there's really no job experience and that's what people look at especially nowadays in a tough economy what what would you say why do you think there there's such a blackout on something that should be a really hot button issue for Americans well well you're exactly right now I will say this USA today has covered it uh in the past couple of weeks I did see a couple of articles that they've put out about the uh, suicide rate of -hmm. the veterans as they come back. And uh, the young veterans uh, have a much higher suicide rate, of course, than veterans after they hit the age of 54. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that is because these young veterans, like you say, when they come back, they're sitting around. They don't have a job. I mean, what do they really have to live for? Because they're not uh, being allowed to become a productive member of society. That's one thing I like about my program, Vets for Kids. You're talking about taking a, about half a million veterans, if we can get this thing to go viral, mm-hmm. and, and making them productive members of society once again. We've got to take care of our veterans. They they signed up to protect us and went over uh, uh, to Afghanistan and Iraq, a bunch of them, in an unconstitutional war, we've got we've got troops all around the globe right now, uh, unconstitutionally, by the way. Not mm-hmm. their fault, the fault of, of our federal government sending them there. Uh, we've got to take care of these people when they come back home. They've done so much for us. They've li- laid it on the line for you and me, Jake. Mm-hmm. It's time for us to, to lay it on the line for them as well. And my plan uh, could be very... Simple, and it wouldn't even cost any any taxpayer money. It would just be a, a simple uh, student fee uh, that would be paid at the rate of about twenty five cents a day uh, to make sure that we employ these veterans. Mm-hmm. Now, see, that's once again common sense solutions in a nonsensical world, I guess. But um, here here's some other things that we were kind of mulling over. Another hot button issue for every American. Domestic drone use, um, highly unconstitutional. So, what what are your thoughts on domestic drones? Should they be, should they even be an example? Would be should even municipalities be able to get drones, or should it be left to the federal level, or should they just be banned altogether and just only used if you have a court order or something of that nature? Well, you know, the the thing about it is, since 9-11, we've gone down this slippery slope uh, of taking away people's liberties and freedom. I mean, the first knee-jerk reaction was the USA Patriot Act, uh, which would take a, away from the right to due process. And now we've got the more, more recent National Defense Authorization Act. But, you know, uh, the right of the people to be secure in their persons, their houses, their papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated. Do you know what I'm reading right there? No, I'm the reading, Article 4. <laughs> yeah, I'm reading the <laughs> Amendment right there of the Bill of Rights. Okay, And that's exactly what you've got with these drones, with the wiretapping, with, with everything else that's going on, even even down to... Uh, the cameras on every street corner uh, that the government that the government has now. So I venture to say uh, that we have already gone down this slope. Mm-hmm. It will be very difficult to get out of it. But you're gonna what you'll have to do is have to have a strong leader like myself that will not bow down and buckle under to the special interest groups, to the lobbyists, to crooked politicians. 
somebody that's got thick skin and a backbone like a football coach has to have because of the pressures that he has put under, uh, going to Washington that's going to stand on the Constitution of the United States. See, let me tell this to all, all your listeners right now. There's going to be two decisions, two things that I'm going to ask on any decision I make when I become president of the United States. Number one, is this decision constitutional? And number two, is it for the betterment of the people of the United States of America? If the answer is yes, then I will proceed. And if the answer is no, then we've got to find another way to get it done in a constitutional manner. Now, I will say this. All the things that are unconstitutional that are going on in Washington right now, it didn't happen overnight. It was year after year after year, uh, uh, the establishment piling this stuff on. So it's going to take some time to overturn a lot of this stuff, to push for legislation that will break the chains of enslavement that are on each and every American because of the economic system that we are in. Uh, it's going to take somebody strong like myself that will not cave in. And I'm up to the challenge. I just need to have the people get behind me so that they hire me come 2016. I don't think you're going to have much problem with people getting behind you. It's just whether the the media is going to cover somebody like yourself that they're going to consider you, I'm sure you know this, a fringe candidate or what have you, just like they did with Dr. Paul who was – you know, standing for what the Republican Party used to stand for, limited government, small taxes. And, um, you know, so I think that we're going to win the popularity contest because by the time 2016 rolls around, I think that there's going to be some there's going to be some major overhauls um, needed in Washington. But moving on, there's there seems to be an overuse of the term war here in American society in general. Now, we hear it on the news. We hear it over and over again on TV. There's like cupcake wars and all these other, you know, silly little wars. And it's, you know, for those of us that study it, it's acclimation to get people used to the fact that we're always perpetually at war. But here's a here's a question for you. What is your perspective on the war on drugs specifically? The war on drugs, did you yeah. say? Yes, sir. It's, it's, it's a farce. It's a farce. A war is when you go uh, into a conflict against a sovereign nation, another nation. And, and might I say this, we have not been in a constitutional war since World War II. What, what validates a constitutional war? Congress voting on it and saying we're going to war. Uh, Desert Storm, Afghanistan, Iraq, Libya, and the list goes on and on. Now, now we're wanting to go in these other countries. I mean uh, – it's all unconstitutional. But now the war on drugs, that's just a term. There, there's no war on drugs. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, what we need to do, especially with uh, with marijuana use, is decriminalize that. Leave people alone. Let them do what they want. Now, here's the thing. I don't smoke marijuana, okay? Uh, I'm pretty sure you probably don't either. If you do, that's great and good. Mm-hmm. We've got bigger issues and bigger fish to fry than to worry about uh, this stuff. And, you know, let's worry about going after uh, the psychopaths and and identifying. Let's take the resources that we're using to to imprison all these people that that are, are messing with marijuana. Let's take those resources and use that to identify uh, those that might have a tendency of being a psychopathic killer. Mm-hmm. Well, I I would agree a hundred percent, and and a lot of that is due to the fact that you know most, and I don't want to say most, but people that people that want to know this information understand that that we have an overwhelming majority of nonviolent offenders in prisons, and a lot of due to the fact that we live in a, a semi quasi police state, if you will. But also on top of that, that the that they are owned also by private corporations, some of these prisons, and they have capacity needs that they have to meet. And if the, if you guys don't believe me, just Google that stuff, and you'll find you'll yourself immersed into a completely different world. But what I'm telling you can be documented and can be backed up. So, but uh, I, I love your answer there, Robbie, because that's what the real that's what the real problem is. The real problem is the violent offenders, is the psychopaths, 
are the people like the guy from Newtown that tried to go get firearms four or five times, got refused by the Nick system, and then went and took his mom's firearms. You can't – we can't do anything about that. Crazy people are always going to do crazy things, and that there is some inherent risk in living, and we just have to accept that. So moving on to the big government issues here in America. Well, Jake, and we'll, yes, sir. Jake, if I, could, if I could interject one thing, though. Yes, sure. they are crazy, and crazy people are going to do crazy things, but they're mm-hmm. not too crazy. How many times have you seen a psychopathic killer go into a police department and try to shoot up a police department where everybody is armed? You're 100% correct. They do go to the victim disarmament zones, or they just move to Chicago where the gun bans are completely out of control, or New York City. And well, you know, and, and, and it's funny that you bring up Chicago. Chicago, uh, just last year in 2012, in a no-weapon city, okay, mm-hmm. they banned guns. They had over 500 murders. They lead the nation. So I venture to say that Rahm Emanuel uh, has, has, is not doing a very good job as mayor with all of his gun legislation. Now let's move over to the state of New York. And I just called out Governor Cuomo. Governor Cuomo is thinking about running for president of the United States as a Democrat in 2016. Unlike Governor Cuomo, I'm actually doing it because. Uh-oh. Are you there, Robbie? We we lost your Skype. Sorry, guys, we lost – I think we lost his Skype really quick. I'm going to call him right back. Sorry for the dead air, everyone. Welcome to Live Radio, right? Trying to pull him up here again. Hopefully, we'll be able to get him here in a second. But what Robbie's saying is 100% correct, where he's talking about the gun-free zones. And these people that go into these gun-free zones are, are going there because they're they're cowards. They're going into these gun-free zones because they don't want armed resistance. They don't want to run into somebody that may have a firearm. They don't want to run into somebody like that. They're going to go into the gun-free zone where they know that they're going to be met with the least amount of resistance possible, and they're going to do their damage, and then they're going to commit suicide. It's the same kind of thing every time. Robbie, did we get you now? Yeah, I'm back. I'm so sorry about that. This Skype, it keeps knocking us off tonight. Yeah, but, uh, I, I ran into the same thing on the Adam versus the Man show the other night, so I don't know if it's my connection or yours. But get into the um, get into uh, Governor Cuomo. Uh, gonna bring his um, gonna bring his great legislation to all of us here in 2016. Gosh, let's hope not. Well, well, let's let's do hope not. And you can go on uh, YouTube, everybody, and I want you to see. Uh, the video where I actually call out Governor Cuomo um, on his recent uh, actions where he signed into law more gun legislation. And I went ahead and called him out, told him it would not work, told him that his plan was, was a phony and a joke, mm-hmm. uh, and which it is. At the same time, I gave him my plan, which will uh, take care of the three problems, vets for kids. Uh, which we've already covered tonight. And then mm-hmm. on top of that, I challenged the governor to a debate in New York City at Madison Square Garden Center Court. We could sell tickets uh, to the event, pack the thing out, take all the money and the proceeds raised, and give it back to the families of the victims uh, of the of uh, Sandy Hook Elementary School. Yeah, I, I watched that video, and that was that was really powerful. And the funniest thing that I got from that, Robbie, and you'll probably get a chuckle from this too. I'm sure you know this, but the funniest thing about his gun ban was he forgot to exempt the police force, and all the police carry more than seven round magazines, so all of their guns would have been illegal as well. <laughs> oh, I know it, it. It really is. And here's the thing: I 
I told him in the video that unlike him, I'm actually running for president of the United States uh, where he's just thinking about it. Mm -hmm. These are serious times that we are in right now. We need serious people to step forward, and that's exactly what I'm doing. So basically, I'm telling him to put up or shut up. Uh, my chief of staff has spoken with his top assistant. He has seen the video uh, as far as him responding uh, back to my challenge. I have not heard from him yet, but I can tell you this right now. Uh, as far as those uh, in the Democratic Party and the Republican Party, as far as the leaders are concerned, mm -hmm. uh, I've got the best plan, and I'm going to tell them to bring it. Excellent. Well, I had just a couple more questions. How much more time do we have with you? About four minutes before you got to yeah, about – We've got about four minutes before I've got to get off this call, Jake. Okay, great. Let's um. All right, we already talked about the Federal Reserve quickly, but um, and I did want to touch on you. You said you wanted to eliminate um, all non-constitutional agencies, so that um, that's going to pretty much do it for <laughs> for the uh, for the Department of Education, which I was going to bring up here. So let's move into the let's move into the Foreign Affairs Department, and then we'll we'll talk a little bit at the very end. If you got time, I'll give you a couple quick questions. So. How involved should we be in providing other countries with foreign aid? Well, we shouldn't be at all. We're, we're sending out $700 billion in foreign aid every every year right now. That's three-quarters of a trillion dollars every year, and yet we've got a problem balancing our budget here, our federal budget. And on top of that, we've got 39 million Americans living in poverty. We've got another 149 million Americans that are existing on low income and relying on the federal government for some sort of assistance. That is not what America is supposed to be about, Jake. Mm -hmm. uh, as President of the United States, we're gonna, we're, I'm going to push to get us out of all this foreign aid. We've got to take care of our own backyard before we can – ever start worrying about somebody else. I agree and, with and that. Let me say, and let me say this, too. Mm -hmm. Okay, A lot of people thought that Dr. Ron Paul was an isolationist because of his foreign policy. Uh, he was more of a non-interventionist, and mm -hmm. I am a non-interventionist as well. Now, here's the thing. We're unconstitutional with all these military bases all over the globe, and what we have is a modern-day empire, and empires always fall. I love to study history because history repeats itself. We've got to reel in uh, this modern-day empire that we have and bring these troops home. We can still have a military presence around the globe and be constitutional because in Article One, Section 8, we can have a standing Navy. And if you think about what the standing Navy is, we've got personnel, fleet, we've got Marines and SEALs, which are both amphibious. They can go on land if they had to. Mm-hmm. And we've also got naval aviators, so we've got air support as well. We've got everything that we need to be in the hot spots of the world with the Navy and be constitutional. But as far as boots on the ground, this is unconstitutional. We've got to bring these troops home. There's a reason why people around the globe do not like the United States right now. But we've got over 40 military bases that surround Iran right now. If Iran had 40 military bases that surrounded the United States, we wouldn't like them very much either. I agree. Now, two last questions for you. These are these are my most important ones because these are the ones that I battle with the neoconservatives with all the time. So I want to get your perspective. Do you think that Iran is an immediate threat to the United States? No. Okay. I didn't think I knew that that would be your answer, but you know, piggybacking on top of that, here's my here's my last question. Then we'll then we'll let you go. I know you got to jump on a call later. If elected president, would you follow in Obama's footsteps and develop your own international and domestic kill list? Once again, no. Very simple. I figured that would be very simple. Okay, last question. If you got to, uh, in 30 seconds, what do you think the biggest challenges that face America? Well, what is the biggest challenge that America faces right now? Well, we've got to get people back to work. We've got to get this economy moving in the right direction. Right now, our economy is propped up on, on uh, toothpicks and bubblegum wrappers. We're $16 trillion in debt right now, which means we're bankrupt. They don't want to call it that up in Washington, but that's what we are. Uh, that the, the, the biggest challenge is getting the Congress to balance the budget, uh, cut spending, 
so we can get this this deficit and this debt under control. I agree 100%. Robbie, thank you so much for your time. Everybody, ladies and gentlemen, presidential candidate 2016, independent, excuse me, independent presidential candidate in 2016, Robbie Wells. Robbie, if people want to learn about you, where where can what are some good resources for them to learn about you? Jake, I'm going to give you a couple of things here. You, uh, guys, y'all can go on my campaign website, which is www.robbywells2016.com. That's R-O-B-B-Y-W-E-L-L-S-2016.com. You can also friend me on Facebook at Robbie Carr Wells. That's R-O-B-B-Y, middle name Carr, C-A-R-R, last name Wells, W-E-L-L-S. I've also got Robbie Wells for President Facebook pages you can like, and you can find out more information about us there. You can Google it, us. There's all sorts of information out there. You can get on YouTube and type in Robbie Wells. All sorts of videos are going to come up. We need your support, uh, and you know that the Democrats and Republicans are going to spend about a billion dollars. We want to we want to get a grassroots effort with everybody across this, this uh, country uh, donating to this campaign. And uh, we've got some videos that are coming out. In fact, we've got a uh, a documentary that's going to be uh, on national TV uh, in the near future about this campaign. Uh, so uh, you guys stay tuned. Excellent. Well, Robbie, thank you so much for your time. And as soon as those videos come out, I'll share them on my page, share them on my Facebook page and my YouTube channel. But thank you so much for your time. And I look forward to seeing you down here March 22nd and 23rd. Everybody, he'll be in Atlanta, Georgia, and he'll also be down here for Liberty Fest, April 6th. So, Robbie, thank you so much. Thank you. May God bless you and may God bless these United States. guys. Amen. Take care, sir. Good night. There he goes, ladies and gentlemen, presidential candidate in 2016, Robbie Carr-Wells. So now we're into the latter part of the show, and I do have some clips for everyone. Um, I wasn't expecting the, sh the interview to run that long. It was actually kind of great. It's nice to hear somebody that, if you guys listen to the show at all, it, just, it sounds like me running for president. It, makes me, it gives me like the warm fuzzies. This is awesome. But uh, what I did want to talk about today when we got about 15 minutes left, I've got a couple of clips here. But um, one of the clips I did want to get into is um, I know you guys probably don't like her, or if you do like her, then that's fine. But um, Ann Coulter got up in front of a bunch of libertarians and absolutely got smacked in the face. So I got a couple of clips. But this Sunday, I'm going to run the show on Sunday night, 9 o'clock, so you guys tune in, um, 9 o'clock p.m. But um, i got a couple of clips here. I'm going to do a full breakdown on Sunday. But here's just a taste, just a little taste of Ann Coulter getting her butt handed to her by a bunch of libertarian thought criminals. Oh, my gosh. They want liberty. They want freedom. They want sound money. These guys are nuts. So here is Miss Ann Coulter. Um, Let's do one at a time. Okay, war. Real war. Yeah. <laughs> Real Iraq. War. It was good we went into Iraq? I'm for Iraq against Afghanistan, but to explain that in a way that I think libertarians should appreciate, there's one thing the federal government should be doing, well, maybe two, regulate interstate commerce and protect us from enemies. And the Republican Party position is we should intervene, go to war, do whatever it is foreign policy related when it makes America safer. I'll say quickly why I think Iraq was a magnificent war was Saddam was dangerous to us. You can't have these crazed terrorists out there. It isn't 12 people by themselves who are flying planes organizing that terrorist attack. They're being funded. But they, they weren't from Iraq. Um, Saddam was certainly looking to help them, to fund them. He was seeking, as now two bipartisan commissions, both here in England, spent six months investigating. He was looking for uranium from, from Niger. <laughs> I'm sorry, but that makes me laugh every time. Okay, so completely skirting the question. Oh, so weren't the terrorists from... Saudi Arabia, and how did you connect that with Saddam Hussein? Well, it's very easy. I mean, you know, Saddam wanted, he wanted uranium from Niger, 
And that's how they talk to you. They talk to the public like we're a bunch of buffoons and we can't use the internet and we can't read and we we don't know that the 12 terrorists were out of Saudi Arabia and we don't know about the magic passports that were found in the rubble of 9/11 moments after the or hours after the explosion showing the passport of the supposed pilot of the second plane that flew into World Trade Center number 2. We're not supposed to know all that stuff. It's go back to sleep. And this is how they do it. The establishment talks to you like you're a child. She's talking to you like you're a child. And when you see my breakdown, because it will be on We Are Not Cattle um, TV coming up, it should be posted tomorrow. So look for it, and I'll be sure to plug it again on the Sunday show. (laughs) But look for it because – Watching her expressions, her body language, it's just like she wants everybody to believe her so bad and it pans out to the audience and everybody in the audience is not buying it because they're informed. That's why I say, guys, get a friend, get informed, and get involved because once you get informed on all this stuff, it becomes like cartoonish, the things that they're saying to you. So here's another cartoonish statement that Miss Ann Coulter made. I mean this is ridiculous. I have to find it now. I'm scrolling through all my – Things I'm kind of disheveled now that that Robbie jumped off. It was so exciting to talk to him. Man, what a great dude. I can't wait. Hopefully I'll be able to help him out with this campaign. But, but here we go. Here's Ann Coulter talking about how we need as a nation – well, if we can't do regime change is what they call it. You know, We used to call it back in the history books uh, wars of aggression where you would go in and remove a leader. That used to be called wars of aggression, but evidently it's called regime change now. Um, or it used, or also a, a coup. It used to be called a coup, also, but now it's once again regime change. It sounds better. It's a nice little PR move. Carl Rove probably came up with that one. But here's Ann Coulter talking about, hey, maybe we need to fund the radical jihadis in order to get some stuff done. So I'm not joking with you guys. If you watch the full eight minute clip, you will probably want to puke on yourself. But here is the um, funding the insurgents clip. It is a problem that you have all of these countries, some of them with very literate and pro-Western, pro-American populations, but they're led by crazy leaders. I'd say that includes Iraq, Syria, uh, Iran. These are fantastic countries for regime change. You we knock out go the to crazy. War in all these places? No, but keep that in mind, so you might want to fund the insurgents. And as you hear, all the libertarians go, "What?" You've got to be kidding me. You want to fund radical insurgents. Yes, everybody that just tuned into the broadcast, if you don't know this, our government funds al-Qaeda. The real al-Qaeda. The one that supposedly attacked us on 9-11, our government now funds them publicly in Syria as armed resistance. They also gave them tens of thousands of missiles back in October of 2011. Look that up. It was in the news. It's like missiles go missing in Libya. 11,000 missiles go missing. Do what? How do you lose 11,000 missiles? For real? What did, what did Magneto just come in with his X-Men power and just pull them all away and – you guys can't say, well, Magneto came and took all of our missiles, so you got to make up something. Well, we just lost them. Now nah, they're gone. We don't know where they are. So that's cuckoo land, what she's talking about. And it's like Robbie Wells said uh, you know, on the show when he was talking about how we're not liked around the world. No, we're not liked at all. I have a friend of mine that just went to Europe, literally just went there, and he said – Dude, you cannot say that you, he's like you just go ahead and tell him you're from Canada. Don't even tell him you're from the United States because they look at you like you're the one funding the insurgents. You're the one bombing all these innocent countries. You're the one doing this. We're becoming we're becoming one of those authoritarian regimes that the that the people are brainwashed internally, much like the Nazis were. The people brainwashed internally and, and everything's peaches. Meanwhile, we've got death camps. We've got our president has a a kill list. He can authorize drones, and it can be up to 200 people that he kills, and it's considered collateral damage as long as we get one supposed bad guy. We're running into some really crazy stuff. 
And what you're going to start seeing is you're going to start seeing people like Ann Coulter, who is on the establishment right. And Robbie talked about this before. They're both bought and paid for, both parties. They're bought and paid for, and they're just going to have different rhetoric. And once again on the Sunday show, I'm going to be able to give you the whole breakdown, all of it, the clips, my take, you you name it. It's going to be powerful. So make sure you tune in this Sunday. But let's talk about this, everybody. Let's talk about how we got here. Robbie talked about it a little bit before, but how we got here. Well, number one, our nation, along with a multitude of others, are owned by what are called central banks. And when I say owned, I mean we're – they're the creditor and distributor of our money. They don't actually print the money or distribute it, but they authorize the money. So basically we go to the Federal Reserve and say we would like to take out a loan. And one of the dirty little secrets about the private Federal Reserve, because it is private, they have shareholders that nobody knows who they are. So that's creepy to begin with. But on top of that, they're guaranteed a 6% residual every year. So no matter what, the economy goes up, we get shredded in the economy, what have you, they're guaranteed 6% return. Okay, let's look at the large picture now. Well, Jake, that, that sounds like a really weird way to run a government. Well, it, truth be told, the majority of governments around the world are run by central banks. And then each country has its own central bank, and then you have the World Bank, the IMF, the big global consortium. Okay? There are a few countries, and let me know if these sound familiar, that actually don't have central banks. One of which would be Saudi Arabia. The other one would be Libya. Uh, yep, they have a central bank now because that was one of the first things that happened when we invaded Libya to liberate them and put in the Muslim Brotherhood so they could chop tens of thousands of blacks' heads off. That's on record, by the way. That We kicked out Gaddafi and we put in the Muslim Brotherhood who then lined up blacks and chopped their heads off. Thousands of them. It sounds like freedom, doesn't it? So Libya's got one now. Syria also doesn't have one. And there's a couple of other small countries. So what do those nations have in common? Well, those are the nations that we're all trying to bull. Oh, and Iran doesn't have a central bank either. Shocker. Okay. So if I was a conspiracy theorist, or what I would like to call somebody that doesn't trust the propagandized story that comes out, which you shouldn't trust in any way, these are the people that told you that 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 the police never authorized to burn Donner out of his house and then you've got the audio tapes of them going yep we've lit the burners we got the fires in place it's on fire we got smoke mission accomplished we weren't told to set those fires you guys are conspiracy theorists i mean they talk to you like your children it, it, it's it's like this mind game that they say you didn't see that and they think if they parrot it enough it works and for most people it does because as i've said on the show many times most people are just Halfway paying attention anyway. They're more concerned with what's going on with sports or what's going on with fashion or what's going on with the Oscars or any of that stuff. So so now we're moved into a position financially over the last couple months. And it's it, it, you hear it with all the cuts. We pushed the cuts back and now the cuts are coming Friday and it's going to be, you know, it's going to be bedlam. It's it's going to be catastrophe and all this other stuff. Listen, we have headed in this direction for a long, long time. Ron Paul was a voice in the wilderness talking about the grand experiment. I'm going to play that clip. And then I'm going to play the clip of the Fed being an independent agency because you need to understand this. The Federal Reserve is one of the largest problems that we face currently. And the fiat money system that they push is unsustainable. Now, the doubling time of you know the inflationary period and stuff like that, and I talked about how, what that does to purchasing power before. So we don't really have time to get into that. But I'm going to play the clip of what Ron Paul said to Ben Bernanke about what we're looking at here 
And he even said this years ago. He's been saying this for a long time. It's like Robbie Wells said. Anybody that studies history understands that we're an empire. And I wanted to ask him, and I forgot to ask him, what always happens to empires, Robbie? They always run out of money. And we're running out of money. So if you guys want to be the fall of Rome, if you guys want to be the fall of Greece, if you guys want to be the fall of the Ottoman Empire, whatever. Spread too thin, run out of money, hyperinflation, ball game over. Reconstruction. So here's the grand experiment clip, and then I'm gonna I'm actually gonna go to the how an economic hitman operates and break that down, and then I'm gonna end the show. But uh, man, this is just so juiced about having Robbie on. That was so awesome. So anyway, here is the Ron Paul clip about the grand experiment that is now a failure. I think what we're witnessing today is the end stages of a grand experiment, a philosophic experiment on total fiat money. Yes, they've been debasing currencies for hundreds, if not thousands of years, and they always end badly. They always return to market-based money, which is commodity money, gold and silver. But this experiment is something different than we've ever had before, and it started in 1971 where we were actually given an opportunity in many ways to be the issuer of the fiat currency, and we had way too many benefits from that than uh, people realized. But it's gone on for 40 years, and people keep arguing from the other side of this argument that it's working, it's doing well, and yet from my viewpoint and the viewpoint of the free market economists, all it's doing is building a bigger and bigger bubble. And uh, the free market economists were the ones who predicted the Nasdaq bubble, the housing bubbles, but we never hear from the Keynesian liberal economists and the central bankers and saying, watch out, there's, there's a bubble out there. There's uh, too much credit, too many problems there. There's a housing bubble. We have to deal with it. Usually we get reassurance from the Fed on that. We get reassurance from the Fed, we get reassurance from Fox, CNN, all of those guys because they're all bought and paid for by the establishment. They are they are the parakeets of the establishment. If they don't back the Federal Reserve, then it's game over because anybody that knows anything about economics understands that as soon as you lose confidence in a fiat money system, the game is up. That is the whole driving force. You can inflate the American dollar into oblivion, but as long as people have confidence in the system, it's going to work. You know, that's what the Keynesian people say. They're like, oh, you know, it's, it's going to work because people are just going to trust it. Well, eventually people are going to just – it's like what Adam Kokesh said when I, when I asked him the question on his show the other day. I said, you know, when are when are the American? What do you think the American public will actually wake up to the banking fraud? Do you ever think that we'll do what Iceland did? Do you think that we will go and arrest the bankers that created all these derivatives and, and maneuvered our country into a position where you can't really work? And he said, I believe that human experience and the human element that. Um, and he flashes – he said, I'm going to flash my optimism card. He said, I think that when it becomes apparent that it will put more food on your table to do something other than Federal Reserve notes is going to be the tipping point. And we are slowly gaining on it, guys. So good news ahead. we got people like Robbie Wells out there. we got great candidates like Carter Kessler out there in Georgia if you guys are here. But um, you know we're trying to do things from the grassroots level, moving up, because we don't want the establishment money. We don't want that. We we want new blood. We want the real deal. We want constitutional leaders. We want people that can stand up and give Washington what they need and say, "Listen, we're cutting all this stuff. You guys sit down, tell your lobbyist buddies, no more Ferraris, no more of this, no more trips, none of that until we get this stuff straightened out." So that's it for the show tonight, guys. Be sure to check me out this Sunday, 9 o'clock p.m. You can also follow me on Twitter. We are not cattle, the number one. That's we are not cattle, the number one on Twitter. Check out my website, wearenotcattle.net. Look for that Ann Coulter video. It'll be up tomorrow on the YouTube channel, We Are Not Cattle TV. Once again, everybody, get a friend, get informed, get involved from the grassroots level, and let's make the change. Let's be the let's be the society that makes the change. Let's be the generation that makes the real change. Thanks for listening, everybody. Take care.